Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing being an empath, what shuts us down and what opens us back up. One of the things that I can do with this microphone for highly sensitive people is explain more about what it feels like to be in my highly sensitive, empathic body and mind. Not because we're all the same. In this highly sensitive tribe, we are all similar and very different. But a big part of how we learn is by relating to each other as we grow up, which is a big part of the problem for highly sensitive people and a big reason why we're so anxious and confused about who we are and how we fit and how we relate to the world. Because we're 15 to 20% of the population, that means that we have been getting feedback since we've been born from 80 to 85% of people who are just not wired like us. They don't think like us. They don't feel like us. So I know some of you are listening because you're trying to learn more about yourself and what it actually means to be highly sensitive, to be a survivor, to be an empath, and how to shift what feels burdensome about high sensitivity to more of the superpowers of sensitivity. And some of you are here not to learn about yourselves, but to learn about someone that you love very much, maybe a partner or a spouse. Or maybe you're here to learn about your highly sensitive kid while breaking cycles of abuse and dysfunction. So I've been thinking about how I can walk you through what it feels like so you can compare and contrast and learn more about how you work or how your sensitivity doesn't work like mine. And that's super useful, too. As I've been kicking this idea around, I've been finding myself dreaming and daydreaming about my high school and college fine arts classes. And that's the lens that I want to use to talk about sensitivity as an empath today. Firstly, let me say that everything about art threw me as a kid. I had a very talented and artistic cousin and grandfather. One of my grandpa's stories is that he turned down a job drawing for Disney 
many, many decades ago because he thought drawing cartoons would be a ridiculous profession for a man with six children. He couldn't imagine how he could possibly support his family drawing cartoons. It didn't make sense to him at the time. And I believe it was a great regret for his life. And growing up in this, I felt so other than because I couldn't draw what I saw the way that he could and the way that my cousin could. I didn't feel like an artist at all. In fact, I felt like it was a club for especially talented people and that I did not belong there, that I didn't have any of that talent at all. And I was always sad by that because I'm such a creative person. I knew I was creative, but I didn't think it was okay for me to think of myself as artistic. So I remember signing up for the fine arts class the way that you do in high school and college and being really puzzled by the name. That was the first thing in high school in 10th grade. I got really stuck on what made some art fine and some art just art. And I believe that this is something that happens to highly sensitive kids and it's also something that happens to highly stressed kids that have been around a lot of chaos a lot of stress, a lot of instability, that we can find some little bitty element like the word fine in fine arts and just spin on it and spin on it and spin on it. And I knew that that made me weird. I didn't think that the other kids were pondering things like this. I didn't think any other kids in that class were stressed about the word fine the way that I was. They just went to class and told each other hello in the hustle and bustly way that teenagers enter a classroom. So I entered this classroom confused before I ever got started. Now, the second part to this story that I've mentioned in other places is that I was extremely shy on top of being very introverted. I really shut down in groups in people that weren't yet my inner circle I became functionally mute around. And at 14, I had absolutely no concept of what to do if a boy liked me. And that's a thing that I think the average person finds kind of cute and kind of adorable. And oh, isn't it cute to be that awkward at that age? I felt pain in every part of my body. When they say painfully shy, that's not just a descriptor. I was painfully shy. And there was a guy in class that sort of liked me and sat by me, but I didn't understand that he could like me. Coming from a place of very, very low self-esteem and peak awkwardness at 14. He was kind and he was sweet and he was pretty popular and he was confident and he had an easiness about him with other people. I couldn't fathom that someone like that might like me. And so over the next six months or half a year of That semester of fine arts class, he would ask me every single day for a pen or a pencil, and I'd just give it. And it wasn't until the next year when we wound up working together outside of school that he looked at me and said, oh my gosh, you're the mute girl. And we became pretty good friends, and I very much enjoyed him, and we never dated and were just friendly, and it was really, really great. He helped me come out of my shell. But that class was incredibly painful for me for what we think of as, as average teenage awkwardness. I would have benefited greatly by an old soul friend or an adult that could have guided me through, hey, I think that boy is asking you for a pencil every day because he kind of likes you and wants to talk to you. 
And I think we miss that with highly sensitive kids because highly sensitive kids, empaths can be so smart and so good in school, so well behaved that we don't really see where they're struggling. I don't believe anybody else could really see how much struggle I had just emotionally being that age and being in a classroom with my peers and being in a subject that I felt like wasn't my realm and like I didn't have a right to be there. I wonder how many kids carry around such stress while getting medicated or not being asked the right questions to draw out their fears or their concerns or their awkwardness. The main and pervasive thing that threw me about a fine arts class as an empath is that the teacher demanded that I learn the names and the years and the periods and the categories of art. Looking back with the empath lens, I can put words to this now, but I couldn't back then. So I was just in the struggle of it. And who I was and who I prided myself to be was a very good student. So I didn't know how to explain to myself why I was having such a struggle and why it was so hard for me to learn when other things seemed very easy for me to learn. So instead of getting actual help from my parents or from the teacher, I got more of a vibe of what's wrong with you. And that is in part because of how my parents presented that idea. What's wrong with you that you can't do better at the subject And then I projected that onto some of my teachers in this realm. If I didn't do very well in a class, I projected the information that my parents gave me about myself, which is not good enough, and what's wrong with me. I would project that onto my teachers. Looking back, I know my teachers were not giving me that message. So I think that's an important point for me to make. Because as a highly sensitive empath, we're soaking up so much And then we project it in places where that's not really happening. And that doesn't help us. That hurts us. So if you are tasked with guiding a highly sensitive child or a highly sensitive adolescent, be mindful of that good enough and try to find ways to offer, hey, you're doing a good enough job. And how can I help you do even better? It's very important that we handle high sensitivity people with a lot of positivity, a lot of lifting up, because we can soak up so much that is funky or dark, especially when we're young, when we haven't been on the planet long enough to be well-equipped to self-protect and to practice resiliency. Now, the reason it was so hard for me in a fine arts class to do what seems simple to everybody else, memorize the names and the dates, is because it absolutely threw how my body and mind processes. I move through the world feeling everything, feeling the energy in a room, feeling tension between people, feeling attraction between people. When I look at a piece of art, I'm experiencing that piece of art. I wanted to feel the classical songs that were presented to me in this art class. I wanted to close my eyes and take in the experience of the songs. I wanted to feel how different instruments, how the sounds that those instruments make interacted with my body, the vibrations of who I am. And what about a song would make my body want to sway or move or as it feels it? 
I wanted to discuss the feelings of colors and light and shadow that I saw in pictures. I wanted to express how I related or didn't relate to the images that I saw. I didn't want to analyze it or pick it apart in such an orderly way. Because art didn't seem orderly to me. It felt expressive and expansive. I remember wondering, why does everything need to be learned through order and compartmentalization? It felt so dry and boring. It even felt disrespectful and disregarding of the art and of the artist. I wanted this pure experience with art. And I think I was fighting the class and fighting my teacher in a stubborn way. I didn't value learning the date or the name of a painting. I wanted to experience it. I wanted to use art as the escape that I thought art was. And if I had to learn and perform and do the world and this art stuff the way everyone else wanted me to, it felt like shutting up or shutting down a feeler part of me that is integral to how I live and breathe and move through the world. And I didn't want to lose the magical escape of art or the pure experience of it. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. I can see in other areas of my life the way that this highly sensitive empathic quirk shows up. It shows up for me in exercises like baking. There is rarely a time when I follow a recipe to a T. There is an art form in me pulling a recipe together and baking something out of how I feel these ingredients might work together. So I take a basic recipe and I tweak certain things. I replace flowers with different flowers. I add in things and I take out things and I try to imagine what the consistency will be as I make those changes. And sometimes I'm right on and sometimes I'm wrong, wrong, wrong. And that's part of the experience that teaches me for the next time. I enjoy the experience of that. Time also ceases to exist in a way that I believe happens for an artist that's in their flow when I am baking or cooking. This is why my comedian fiance will bust my chops asking if we're having midnight chicken anytime I mention cooking chicken. Because I have let time get away from me in such a way where I am fully in the flow of it that sometimes I might make midnight chicken. When I'm in nature, I have the same experience. Now, there's nothing artistic about me being in nature, right? 
But these empathic qualities still show up for me there. Because just like the experience of enjoying someone else's art or the experience of being the artist, there's something that restores or resets through those experiences. And nature does that for me. I don't really want to check my watch or check the time most of the time when I'm hiking or backpacking or in nature. I want to just immerse myself in the experience and the sounds. I think I pulled a B, but I might have gotten a C in my high school fine arts class. Then I think I did a little better in my college class. And to my awareness at the time, to me, that was barely getting by. We can put a lot of pressure on ourselves as highly sensitive people, as survivors. We can have a lot of performance-based self-worth, which means I can't feel worthwhile unless I perform and some outside authority figure says good girl and pats me on the head or gives me an A. Many of us who come from dysfunctional homes are struggling with this dynamic and learning to put our perfectionist to the side and let our good enough take care of us. It's easy to say it takes a lot of practice to be able to quiet and compartmentalize that perfectionist. And I definitely had that perfectionist through all of my schooling. So I left those two art classes confirming something very sad to myself that would take me about 14 years after to unravel. I left those art classes and also a film class thinking that I had no business in art or around art. I just didn't get it. I wasn't right for it. It didn't fit me. So I felt outside of the club of the artsy people, kind of like a reject. And it wasn't until many years later, about 11 years ago now, after pulling off the road just to get out of the hell that is Houston traffic, I stumbled across a book in a really cutie pie bookstore that was about Zen tangles, pattern art. And because it was just simple patterns, lines and triangles and squares and circles, that's it. It was simple enough to be able to give myself permission to maybe, just maybe, try this kind of art. So I gave myself permission. And it wasn't until I drew these drawings almost every week of my life for years. And it wasn't until I was starting to gift them to clients to say goodbye. I would think about a client that was finishing up their work with me, and I would sit and draw and put the energy that I felt about them into these drawings, and then I would gift clients that were ready to transition away from me. I also gave art when I left Houston and physically left many of my clients. And this is why in a healing field, you know, the profession really likes to act like counselor and client are very separate. But if you're working with people in a healing capacity and you're really opening up to what's happening between you and client and client and you, you can't help but grow and evolve and change because the work is watching other people grow and evolve and change. And that has grown and evolved and changed me. So as I gave my art to some of my clients, it was clients that I considered in the artsy club, the club that I wasn't in, that some of them would look at me and go, wow, so you're an artist too. Oh, you're definitely an artist. And I made myself in those moments say, thank you. 
I haven't thought of myself as that, but thank you. I know that you're right. Thank you for validating that in me. They didn't know my history with that. They didn't know that they were letting me into some sort of club that I had decided was in existence when I was a small child. Those clients helped heal me, helped me stand in the integrity that I do get to be an artist. I am an artist and I always have been. As much as I am an advocate that we have to be sort of our own support and our own cheerleader, there are ways that the universe sometimes swoops down and puts one or two or three or four or more people who don't know each other in front of us to tell us the same thing. And when that's happened to me, like in this art example I'm giving you, it has really felt like the universe has reached down and in these moments presented not people to me, but angels to give me the exact messages that I needed right at the time. So in those moments, my clients, the people paying me, showed up as angels for me. And I'm not an artist like my grandpa was. And I'm not an artist like my cousin still is. But I am an artist like me. And that's always been available to me. And I want you to know that being an artist or being anything else is available to you. So maybe your struggle isn't with art, but maybe there's something in your life that long ago you decided wasn't for you and was for other people. Maybe you decided when you were a child that there was some kind of specialness that you lacked that you didn't have. And I want to challenge you to challenge that today. Was that true or real? And is it true or real today? Is there something that you would like to do or cultivate, a talent you would like to evolve, something you would like to begin, that like me accepting that my artistic part has always been a living, breathing part of me, available to me, as is anything I put energy into and practice that I will improve Is there something in your life asking you to invite it in to practice? What is it in your life that could be yours if you just allowed yourself to begin to walk towards? Is there something that someone has told you or shown you or that you decided when you were younger that no longer serves you that shut you down and would be worth opening back up to? This episode wouldn't be complete or right if I didn't give a shout out to my therapist, my healer, my mentor, my spiritual mama and sister and colleague and fellow podcaster, because she's been a big part of what has helped open me up instead of shutting me down. And that's the title of this episode. And she's, thank goodness, she's part of the 15 or 20 percent instead of the 80 to 85 percent of people who aren't highly sensitive. Lisa Tahir is an amazing woman who, over the years of me working with her, has done multiple half marathons, has taken a month off to go do a special project while I was working with her. She would take trapeze classes. She's been a glass artist that designed hotel lobbies when I first met her. And she's a glass artist that also patented a special device so that people in wheelchairs can also cast or blow glass. And then she created her own show, which helped me know that I could do this show because she encouraged me. And she's about to publish her book endorsed by the Dalai Lama. 
So just by being herself, not the therapy part of the time that I've spent with her, but just by her being a human in those little moments when you're first arriving to your session or when you're paying for your session and rescheduling and getting out of there, that healed me just as much as the actual real therapy time. Because by being herself and me getting to spend time with another human being that was practicing being expansive, saying yes to challenge, saying yes to hard things that she didn't think she could do, and answering her calling to be strong in mind and body, she has given me great permission to honor the physical, emotional, personal, and professional callings that I felt but didn't think were allowed or okay. Who will you inspire if you allow yourself to go after your dreams and desires, your musings? I want to end this episode reading my favorite poem from Marianne Williamson. As I read this poem to you, I want you to know that the word God is in it. And I know that that's a hard word for a lot of people, especially if you were abused by religious people. Know that when I say the word God in this poem or ever, you are invited to change it into any word that makes sense to you. For a long time in my life, I wouldn't use that word. We can replace that word with the universe or nature, even your pets. When I use that word, it's not about a big man or a big person in the sky. It's just meaning something that is bigger than all of us. It's called our deepest fear. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. This is a poem from Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love. It's often quoted as part of a Nelson Mandela speech, but it's actually Nelson Mandela that quoted Marianne Williamson in that speech. I want to read some of our iTunes reviews And thank those of you that go the extra step to get online, go through the iTunes process to write a review. It really helps the show stay high in the ratings. And just like all of you who have found the show and are finding solace and comfort and understanding for your special sensitivity and gifts and recovery, every time any of you gets on iTunes and gives us a five-star review. You don't have to write anything unless you want to, but anytime y'all give us a five-star review, it helps us stay higher in the ratings and it helps work that funky iTunes algorithm and put the show in front of more people to suggest it to other people. So I want to thank those of you who have written a review for us and for other people to find us. 
I want to thank Jamie Theophilus. The only critique is that they wish there were more episodes. Well, we work on that every single week, and there are bonus episodes on the Patreon if you want some. I think we have 26 or 28 now that are on there just waiting for you at throwing us $5 a month. You can go listen to all those episodes right now. Thank you so much. I want to thank Happy Mama 416 She just found the show and started from the beginning. She feels like my message was made for her. Oh, yes. She grew up with narcissistic parents and is definitely an HSP and probably an empath and becoming more comfortable with that thought as she learns more. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, she's thanking me for pushing out of my comfort zone. Yes, I'm trying to model that for you. So much goodness in my life has come from me pushing outside of my comfort zone. It's grown me in ways I couldn't have imagined. Not a lot of growth happens hanging out in the comfort zone. So thank you so much. Happy Mama. I want to thank Jacqueline Steele. She calls the podcast a game changer. She feels like her brain explodes in the best possible way in every episode. She's thankful that a podcast with such substance exists. Thank you, Jacqueline. I want to thank Dad Darko. He calls the show Soul Food for an Emotional Mess. Dad Darko is a recovering alcoholic and addict and has made it to 42 years on blind faith, yet never in myself. He's coming from a negative upbringing, paired with illness as an addict, and took the form of social anxiety and depression and unspecified panic disorder, He describes himself as truly an emotional mess. And the podcast is helping guide him to understanding himself. Thank you, Dad Darko. Thank you for your work in the world to be a better human being for you and for your kids. I'm sure you're inspiring people that you don't even know are watching you. Changing and growing is brave work. Thank you for being people in the world that are doing that work. Just like the poem I read at the end of this episode, you are giving other people permission to shine. Light and love to all of you. I'll be back next week with an episode. If you'd like to see me before then, come on the Patreon and check out one of those episodes or the monthly live streams that are archived there for you. Take care. Keep getting out of your comfort zone in the best ways possible. And I'll see you next time. I'm an emotional badass, you're an emotional badass, and together we are where Moxie meets Mindful. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.